In this episode of Geekville Radio, we titled this is Marvel DC's Endgame. We're going to talk some Marvel MCU corrections because we do like to correct ourselves. And then we're going to talk the the possibility of Marvel and DC colliding. Geekville Radio. Hello once again, ladies and gentlemen, Geeks and Geekettes. This is Seth, a.k.a. Zandrax, the mayor of Geekville, and the host of Geekville Radio, coming at you with a new episode, a jam-packed episode. You can kind of call this one of our maybe 64-page annuals. Like we said at the top of the show, we're going to talk some MCU stuff where we will correct ourselves, because we are human, and we do make mistakes, and we like to acknowledge when we make mistakes. And then we're going to talk the odd teasings that both Marvel and DC have left uh, concerning each other uh, in the wake of the 5G relaunch for DC, and we'll we'll get to that. But first off, joining me from the nice soft padded cell in the asylum in South Kakalaki, Crazy Train Jonathan Bullock. All aboard, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is going to be an interesting show. It's all comic book, not a whole lot of anything else. So that's going to be fun. If you look at Geekville Radio as a house, I would I would think comics is one of the four cornerstone foundations. Comics, movies, television, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to go to one of our foundations. But I have to ask before we really get into this. Uh, last time we recorded, Shadowcat was in the studio for the first time. Uh, mm-hmm. Was she okay? Did she scratch your eyes out? Did she vomit up hairballs because she didn't like what we said? How was her response? <laughs> well, I still have my jugular intact, so I guess that that's good. I mean, the uh, the following morning, I mean, I, I woke up, I, I was sleeping on my stomach, and she was on my back right around my neck, had her paws at the base of my neck right around where my jugulars are, and she was with her nose kind of nipping at my Ear, so I couldn't quite tell if she was giving me affection or if she was whispering in my ear. I can end you anytime I want. <laughs> so, but that's <laughs> life with Shadowcat, you know. <laughs> that's that's uh, have you ever, you've seen that Allstate commercial with Mayhem, where he's like, "This is mm-hmm. that's a million years of Panther DNA ready to pounce." <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so the listeners know I have my cats are, are around me every time I record. I know that was unusual for you, but my cats have geek names too. My older cat is a gray and white haired named Gibbs, as in. Leroy Jethro, because he has the gray hair. Now, the other one is the younger cat, the one that interrupted our recording about a year ago and have since adopted him. He is a gray and black tabby who looks an awful like Rocket Raccoon, thus the name (laughs) Cooper. (laughs) Okay, fitting. (laughs) And I think, I think our listeners can draw the conclu- can draw the connection there. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's one other cat in in my house is a Maine Coon, and now granted for a Maine Coon, he's a runt, and he actually did crash an episode of Examining the Doctor, and uh, we kind of, we made it sound like he you know flopped on the TARDIS console, but uh, his <laughs> name uh, it, it's a double whammy in references. His name is Sir Logan Gallifrey. So we got the X Men wow. reference and the Doctor Who reference, and there's our obligatory weekly Doctor Who <laughs> reference. So, if, if he's the run of a Maine Coon, that means he's about what twenty eight pounds, <laughs> <laughs> something like yeah. So <laughs> anyway, so train. I mean, it's kind it's kind of funny that both companies have teased this, and it's one of those things that has been going back since we were all kids 
reading comics in, in, in the crossovers. And there's been DC versus Marvel crossovers in the past, but it really looks like it may become a reality. And the, the funny thing about this is, you know, most fans know uh, DC is owned by Warner Brothers, who I believe are owned by AT&T, you know, the, you right. know in the, the phone company. And of course, DC's having a, yet another relaunch. And then Lord knows we used to chastise Marvel for all the relaunches they, they've had. And now DC is going to have their 5G for fifth generation. That's what's the relaunch. And I don't think it's chance. I don't think it's coincidence that 5G also happens to be the current wireless phone technology like you have in your in your in, <laughs> well, in your smartphone. Well, well, my understanding was the original name was 5 fifth generation and they've switched it down to generation 5 because it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. They didn't want there to be confusion. <laughs> yeah. Cuz so. cuz in a past <laughs> career I was a cell phone salesman, so it's right. you know, that right. that stuff's ingrained into my psyche until the day I die. I just couldn't help but notice that. Cuz when I first heard this news and it goes back the first time I I heard it was um i can't remember the first time i heard it. i think it was back in like november december of last year when dc announced the comic that they would be giving away on free comic book day which is coming up of course and they were going to be giving away generation zero which is going to be essentially the prequel to set up for this new reboot called generation five and but when i heard the news it was still you know zero generation and it was in in the course of all that i i i had read rumors online that they switched the name because of exactly what you're talking about they didn't want to be confused with 5g <laughs> so it's going to be in fifth generation we'll just call it generation five which it does it really matter you know i mean uh, this makes what the fourth reboot they've done since 2011 something like and i know i went in this rant uh, off mic with you, train so so bear with me i'll, I'll be brief because i'm sure okay. dc fans are are uh i'm preaching to the choir with them is there was a time where like we said marvel was the king of reboots with oh, the God, ultimate yes. universe and and this and that and dc it was like if they wanted to boost sales they just hired a good writer and a good artist kind of a dream sure. team the best example was jeff Loeb, who of course went on to, or actually, I think he was still doing Smallville at the same time, but he also has helped Marvel with their TV, and Jim Lee, who's, I mm-hmm. think, now co-publisher at DC, but, you know, absolutely one of the greatest right. fan-favorite artists of all time. Yeah, because he, he, he was coming off a of Wildstorm, his exactly. own imprint. He was right. in that group with Tom McFarlane and those that, that just of, of writer-artists who decided they were going to leave the two biggies in the late 80s and create their own imprints. Right. So it was a dream team. They did a 12-issue arc called Hush, and it brought Batman sales back in, into prominence. And I, th- I think a similar thing happened a few years later with Jeff Johns, because we all loved the takes on Green Lantern with other colors and the different emotions and such. Brings in one of my favorite images of Superman of all time, where he's all the lantern colors at once, except for, of course, mm-hmm. the death one. But uh, I, I digress. Uh, that's your line, actually. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, just th- that that's the gist of what I'm saying is DC, it's like they would go the creative route. They would bring actual mm-hmm. creative talent in. And really, to an extent, I think they tried to do it with the Doomsday Clock stuff, actually leading into that, because they had, you know, Sideways and Silencer and all that trying to introduce new characters. Right. But, we, you know, we had the new 52. We had Rebirth. Yeah, 252 was 2011. Yeah. Sales did not go up like they expected. 
Mm-hmm. And then they came out with Rebirth, which was, what, 2016? Sounds about right, because that's when I started reading uh, Green Arrow again. And, of course, uh, Green, Lantern, uh, Green Arrow got canceled. And then there was the whole, uh, I think it was Flashpoint or Flashback or something like that. Right, and now, but, yeah, it, you know, and Doomsday Clock was not meant to be a reboot, but it became one. Because Doom, the first Doomsday Clock was, was it eight issues, I believe, in 2017? And it, of course, was tying in the Watchmen universe to being one of the many of the multiverse in DC. But because Rebirth was doing bad and sales weren't picking up, they decided to continue Doomsday Clock and did a second edition, which was all of last year, 12 issues that ended in December with issue 12. And there will be some spoilers here, minor spoilers, as we discuss some of this, you know, for those of you that aren't, up current on your current reading to see to get that out of the way right now. But to me, that just reeks of desperation that you're doing that many reboots. And now you announce back before you've even released the finale of doomsday clock, which is meant to be yet another reboot. You're announcing another reboot. That's going to start this year. You're announcing before the end of 2019. And you're in the process of telling a storyline that is a reboot that is getting ready to finish in a month. You're announcing another reboot six months down the road in 2020. That's reeks of desperation to me. My thought on that is I haven't looked at the hard numbers. I understand Marvel is, let's be, Marvel's the it thing right now because the MCU is so hot. But I don't know if that is actually translated into sales of the comics, you know? And that's maybe another topic for another time. The, 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 you know, the Marvel success of Marvel cinematically versus the lack of success on the DC side cinematically. And how has that affected? You know, the sales of the actual comics, I don't know. I don't have those hard numbers in front of me. Mm-hmm. But I also wonder, in general, hasn't comics, hard copy comics, taken a hit across the board, no matter the imprint, for years now because of the digital age? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair to say. And there is the rumor. I mean, obviously, a few days ago, as of this recording, Dan Didio, whether did, whoever you you listen to, he either quit or was fired or... Uh, something to expect. Bottom line, he's not at DC anymore, and DC actually canceled some stuff at C2E2 that he was going to be at. And I've, I never met Dan Didio, but I've been to his panels, and he genuinely seemed like the guy that was trying to do what he believed was right. And right. that doesn't necessarily make him right, and I don't want to sound like I'm disrespecting by saying that. I'm just saying... I don't think he was the guy that would sell on a bill of goods thinking he was all hot stuff. I think he genuinely did right. what he what he thought uh, was right. But in the end, you know, what, three reboots under his watch, if, I, if, if I'm counting correctly, at least? Not counting right. this one? Right. And, and as far as, as what you said about DC, historically speaking, is just went and got the hot hand and gotten them to try to, you know, they've done that. Scott Snyder is, is one of the, the hot young writers in all of comics, and he's writing for DC. He's writing Justice League and Batman. Uh, and I think most critics and fans have been very happy with what he's done. And was it been about four years he's been on those titles now, I guess? Sounds about right, you yeah. Know, some of the stuff he did in Batman kind of even set up for the Doomsday Clock stuff, you know? With this, that, that whole ending with, you know, Batman picking up the comedian's button at the, in the end of, of that storyline. Right. Yeah. That, that was right up there with the, the big kind of, uh, cliffhanger last page things that kind of made mm-hmm. people think of what well, one of the th- one of the things for me as a batman guy okay i'm you know everybody that listens knows i'm I'm a batman freak right 
for for me, part of what I like about Scott Snyder's take on Batman has been he has been able to do something I think was always a, a, a key component for Batman when Batman was at his best, which is really delve into the personal relationship and dynamics of one of Batman's rogues gallery versus Batman. You know how like two face is essentially almost a betrayal because he's a former friend and the, 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 you know, brings up the larger question of dual personalities and living two lives. And can anybody do that for a long time without, without affecting him at a mental level? I mean, so you, I think you can see, you know, the absolute worst case scenario of that in Two Face and Harvey Dent, and where does that leave us with Batman? Is he is he heading down that path? And how 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 much of a push is it going to take for him to wind up there? You know, or Rayshaw Ghoul and how he's essentially the dark reflection of Batman. He wants the same thing Batman does: peace in our time. To quote Tony Stark, you know, mm-hmm. but he's willing to do things that Batman never would to bring exactly. that about. So you can see what I mean. You know, I mean Joker. He's even brought in a very sexual overtones, almost homoerotic to the Joker Batman dynamic that I've only seen brought to the front that much with the the one shot Arkham Asylum Serious House on Serious Earth, which was by Grant Morrison in I think eighty nine. You know, so it's just that's something Scott Snyder has done as a Batman fan. I like as as they've pushed to brighten up the DC universe. And make it a little brighter like Marvel is. He's realized, well, maybe Batman shouldn't be bright. Batman's the one who's meant to be dark. You know, he, he's, I mean, fear. That's his biggest weapon, isn't it? Right, right. I, I, I've i always kind of looked at Batman as being kind of DC's Punisher, only without the killing thing. In that sure. no matter how it ends up, no matter what alternate reality any way you change or throw the, the, the dice of destiny or however you want to call it, in mm-hmm. the end, Bruce Wayne, his life always takes a tragic turn and he winds up being the living embodiment of vengeance. Similar thing with Frank Castle. No matter right. what happens, something bad happens to his family and he becomes the Punisher. It's almost, to not get too esoteric or, or spiritual, it's almost like they're cursed. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, but but I think that's, you know, if you go back and look at the New 52 and Rebirth, there was a, a, a concerted effort by everybody involved at DC to brighten up the universe. Because you got to remember, coming out of the, the 80s and 90s, we've talked about this before, not just at DC, but overall, that was the age of the antihero. That is when we saw the rise of Wolverine. We saw the rise of Punisher. We saw the redarkening of Batman, all coming out mm-hmm. of, let's be honest, Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, right? Right. And I am a Batman fan who argues passionately with younger readers who are like, oh, come on, man. The best Batman stories are in that window of like 85 to like 92, which is the the Arkham Arkham Serious House on Serious Earth, Dark Knight Returns, Year One, that stuff, right? Killing Joke came out of that. Uh, Death in the Family. I'm not saying that those are not seminal, important storylines in the Batman but you're, I wonder, you guys are just too young to remember the stuff that came before that. You know, the, the I, I, I've said the Denny O'Neill take on Batman in the that 70s. That was exactly was, the name I was going to bring up. <laughs> was just as good as the stuff you're talking about. And it was dark. The only difference was the artist at the time, and I can't remember who was drawing Batman in that era. They had the blue and gray suit, as it says, the all black. That was it. Right. You know, right. 
And the, the black suit, the all black suit, that didn't come along until after the Michael Keaton movie. And exactly. That was, that was because coming from Bob Kane's own mouth, they did it the way they did it back in the day, because in those days, doing an all black suit just wouldn't have printed right in four color coloring. Right. I mean, it's like a lot of people don't know this, the switched imprints. The Hulk was originally gray, but they had a hard time getting gray to work. So that's why he got switched to green. Mm-hmm. Had to do with just what they could mass produce. Still one of my favorite quotes from C2E2. Sorry, I'm in a C2E2 mind because I'm going to be there this weekend. <laughs> you know, episodes to come for that. But there was a panel. I think it was the last panel I think Stan did before he passed. Uh, at least his C2E2 that I knew of. And he did a panel with Frank Miller. And Frank Miller was talking about how the Hulk was gray. And then all of a sudden he became green. And he didn't quite understand why. And it just didn't make sense to him. So, well, the moderator, the hostess, who I think uh, was also on Buffy for a while, if I have her credentials right, she turned to Stan and said, so why did you turn the Hulk green? And Stan Lee says, because I knew somewhere it was going to piss Frank Miller off. (laughs) So so I just, I grab any excuse I have to tell that story. (laughs) Proceed. (laughs) You know, I think Batman has such a rich history. And there have been very varying takes on him to to be so narrow minded that Batman always has to be brooding, always has to be dark. And like you said, almost has to be cursed just because he's cursed doesn't mean he can't have moments of joy. OK, right, right. Uh, it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a sense of humor. These are things I think short time readers or only readers of Batman 85 forward think about Batman. And I, I don't want to be that curmudgeonly old guy, but, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be that curmudgeonly old guy. I, I would say to the younger readers, you just haven't allowed yourself to go look at back issues and find out there were some really good Batman stories that were dark before 1985 and Frank Miller. There were. Okay? So accept it and and, and move on. And, and I would also say in that same movement we're talking about, they even made characters like Superman a little bit darker. You remember that in the comics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then anybody that knows me knows how much I love Superman and Cap. You know, it's about that time you were talking about the 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 age of the antihero. That's really about the time I really started warming up to Cap because I liked my lawful good baby faces. I remember that whole Cap storyline where he's beginning to question America, you know, mm-hmm. in that era. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. When, and when he's, and who's it? I think it might have been Sam. It might have been Sam, but it could have been somebody, either Sam or Tony. And he has this long discussion where he lays the shield down and goes, does this stand for what I want to stand for? Is this country, you know, it's like going, and I'm sitting here reading it, and I was probably 16, 17. I'm going, is this Captain America? And I think they covered that pretty well in the movies as well, I think, with uh, with Winter Soldier and such. But sure. getting back to the comics, uh, kind of going back to Batman and, again, getting into Bruce Wayne, there's always that thing which is true. You know, No matter how bad off you are, help others. And mm-hmm. you'll, you'll hear the commentary from people that – no matter how bad they are, they help others because they don't want them to be as bad as they are. Right. That, I think, is an element of Bruce Wayne. You know, he's not going yeah. to say it uh, publicly that he's Batman, of course. But, yeah, you know, I my parents were murdered. So I, uh, hence, you know, give this money or whatnot or will make appearances for orphanages or something to that effect. I absolutely think that's part of Bruce Wayne's character, too. Yeah, the whole cliche of life gives you lemons, make lemonade type thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know... No matter what generation you fall in and which 
which you like or dislike Batman stories, almost everyone who's a Batman fan agrees the the best combination of all those and best take ever on the characters, probably the old animated series from the 90s. Right. And I dare say, go back and watch that. That is not a brooding Batman. He broods at times. But overall, Bruce Wayne, Batman's a pretty happy guy. He's he's frustrated sometimes. He's he's at his wits end sometimes. But at the end of the day, he's he's a happy guy because he's doing what he feels he want he he was meant to do. You know, right, right, exactly. Now we've gone about fifteen minutes into this podcast, and we've teased people about uh, Marvel DC Endgame. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but we're all, we're we're setting all this up, ladies right. and gentlemen. Right. So we're getting to this uh, point about. Uh, all these characters, and we we brought up Doomsday Clock, and I'll I'll throw it back to you, Train, because it really was kind of a uh, you, you had to truly read it to get it, because it certainly wasn't front page news in the geek sites no. that I frequented, but no. you know there was a tease thrown out from DC, and then more recently there was a tease thrown out with Marvel. So I'll give you the floor, Train, and uh, okay, I'll I'll take the DC, you take the Marvel. That's the way it should be, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> So, like I said, this is the part where spoilers are going to come in, ladies and gentlemen. So if you don't want to have the Doomsday Clock storyline spoiled, fast forward about two minutes and come back in, okay? Spoiler alerts. Spoiler alerts. Spoiler holes get breached. Spoiler holes get breached. All right. The basic overarching story to Doomsday Clock, at least the second half of it, is Dr. Manhattan because of his great powers and sentiments has understood and, and accepted the fact there is a multiverse and is trying to logically fix all the different universes within the multiverse. Kind of like Barry, what did you do type situation from the flareverse as we talk about all mm-hmm. the time, except Manhattan has even more power than Barry to change these. And he starts doing that. Superman from earth one travels to the Watchmen universe and basically pleads with, Manhattan and shows him where he's wrong and he needs to change everything back that is against the natural order to do what he's doing. And to make a long story short, Manhattan finally agrees to Superman and does this. And that's almost the end of the finale of this storyline. But once he set everything back to normal, he decides to start prophesying about things to come. And there are several panels in the last few pages of the last issue of different dates in the future and what's 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 to come that Dr. Manhattan is prophesying. One of these panels says is dated July 10th, 2030, and it is Thor battling Superman. And the caption talks about the battle was finally swayed when a green behemoth showed up even more powerful than Doomsday. As I like to say, uh, three guesses on who that is. The first two don't count. Right. And as I'm reading this as a guy who knows comics, going, okay, I'm not thinking anything about a crossover. I'm thinking that's a clever nod by a smart writer to the competition because he's a comic book geek and a, a nice way to circumvent copyright infringement right because technically say, thor is still norse mythology just saying thor because maybe it's just me being the skeptic in this because i it's right what i thought of what went through my mind when i saw it. it's like oh okay well thor is still a mythological character so maybe right. there'll be a different take on thor but then like you said they bring the green behemoth into it okay at worst, it's remember these guys that write and draw comics. They're you and me. They're they're fanboys. So maybe this is just the guy you know writing Doomsday, and the artist going, okay, let's fanboy here a little bit. We're not going to have a crossover, but 
a what if type thing, you know, and just do it in one panel. And that's all I'm thinking it was. But then this happens in Marvel. Why don't you take that? Take take the floor now, Seth. <laughs> right. It, it's in Thor number two, because obviously after the War of the Realms story, which I still say is going to become an Avengers movie, it's too cool of a story not to do that. But anyway, uh, who bring- is the, before you get going, who is the new writer on this Thor? Because he's a new hot like Scott Snyder. He's a hot young up and comer too. Absolutely, yeah. Donny Cates is his name, and. The main reason why this issue interested me is because it featured the return of Beta Ray Bill. And, you know, Beta Ray Bill is, I'm not my favorite, but he's one of those, if you were to talk about like B plus players or something like that, or the more obscure cards, like he's not going to carry his own series, but boy, he makes a hell of a guest star. We know he exists in the MCU because we have been verified by YQITT that, 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 that head we see. And Sakar, that is Beta Ray Bill. So anyway. <laughs> right, right. But the whole thing is the gimmick with the current Thor series is Thor is now the Herald of Galactus. And, you know, usually with Galactus Heralds, it's done at a cost. It's done at, at as a trade-off. You know, you know, Galactus will do something in store in return for somebody becoming the Herald. Right, because he like the trade off. The trade off with uh, Silver Surfer was Norn Rad. Of course, Silver Surfer was he saved Norn Rad's home planet. That was the trade off, right? Right. But in this Thor issue, it talks about how your gods will arrive: a sun god, a god of emerald light, a god of dark, a god of the ocean, a god of speed, and a god of strength. Now, it doesn't take too much of a comic geek to put those together, especially. When the visuals are a red and blue streak, kind of an orange lightning type streak, a green streak, a black streak, uh, this is clearly a reference to the Justice League, or at least a, a mm-hmm. about as uh, non-copyrighted version as you can get. So it's right. really looking like Marvel on their end is also teasing a clash with the Justice League. Thor, Superman. So it really does look like both Marvel and DC are dropping these nuggets that there is going to be an incontinuity clash between the right. two. And it would seem to me, based on what we've both talked about from both properties, that the natural story would be Galactus is going to eat the DC Earth One and the Justice League is going to stand up against them. Doesn't that sound what to you what it would be? Yeah, and I'll throw it out there. I mean, I don't claim to be the most creative guy, but... Me personally, if we are doing a true crossover that is going to have long-term effects on both universes, if they don't all become the same universe, maybe they switch places and somehow, you know, Thor, Hulk, and all them become the new Justice League, and uh, the old Justice League become the new Avengers on whatever Earth they're on. I'm not saying it should be that. I'm just saying that's what I would do. Saying that there's there is that could happen that there's room for right. that to happen if you want to go that way potentially yeah right I've said this before as a DC guy you know I always say when people ask me well what is the major difference and you hear this all the time DC has the better villains Marvel has the better heroes right the reason Marvel has better heroes is their heroes are flawed you know their heroes have normal problems. Tony's an, a functioning alcoholic. Peter Parker's a, a geek college kid who can't pay the rent. Matt Murdock's blind. Punisher has immense anger anger management issues. You know? PTSD, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. So it's like 
uh, Luke Cage just wants to be left alone. You know, <laughs> it just everybody has the whereas DC heroes are literally gods. Okay, and I know I'm not alone in having used that term. I mean, let's be honest. Outside of Thor, nobody is a god in, in the pantheon of heroes in Marvel. Diana is literally a god. You mm-hmm. know, Superman for all intents and purposes is a god. Yeah, one of my favorite descriptions of Superman comes from Batman. I, I can't remember if it was Mark Wade or if it was Jeff Loeb that did the writing for it, but it was Batman describing Superman in that he has the powers of a god, but a god is literally the furthest thing that Clark sees himself as. Right. I mean, here's a, what an example I like to use. Compare Cyborg to Iron Man, okay? Iron Man is a very smart, possibly the smartest human being in that universe who applies his intelligence to create technology for the betterment of others and then uses said technology for the betterment of others. Cyborg is literally the merging of space magic with a human being and becoming almost a demigod in the process. Fair enough? Absolutely, yes. And yet they have similar power sets. Am I wrong in that comparison either? Especially when you consider the classic incarnation of Iron Man where he literally needed the suit to survive. Exactly. Look at Hawkeye versus Green Arrow. Look at Quicksilver versus Flash. Look at Namor versus Aquaman. That's probably the closest of the two. You know, DC's heroes are gods. And so when they called them gods and they even used the term, you've always had a league of gods. They use the term league and then start talking about gods. I'm like, if you can't see this as Justice League, you're dumb, blind, or been dead for 25 years. <laughs> that brings up a bigger question, though. I think we can agree based on this. And, and granted, you said you got C2E2 this weekend. Comic-Con is yet to come. Uh, I'm, and there's one other big, big type of convention in between the two. My bet is if this is going to happen, uh, it's going to be pretty soon because you don't start laying those breadcrumbs out like we're like we've just described. I would expect one of those conventions to be where we hear some type of announcement, wouldn't you? Right, yeah. And there are main stage stuff in the C2E2 page on their website mm-hmm. that it's like, okay, well, most of these panels are tang- taking up an hour. There's like a two-hour block here that is not accounted for on the main stage. I'm not saying that's what it's going to be. It may not be anything. Yes. It may have been Matt Smith canceling or something to that effect because Matt Smith is going to be there. And and. You know, it's it could be. I'm not going to be disappointed if it's not, but it could be. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And but I think that brings up a bigger question. If you've been following the news and I don't mean like the storylines that we're talking about, the actual news of the business end of DC and Marvel, there's a lot. Uh, like you said, AT&T owns now owns Warner Brothers. And I'm going to go to wrestling because we do that a lot here. Obviously, <laughs> I know exactly where you're going with this. <laughs> if you know, if you know your wrestling, recent wrestling history in North America, you know, in the 1990s, which was the last boom period of professional wrestling, where it was part of the pop culture zeitgeist, what we as wrestling fans call the Attitude Era and the Monday Night Wars. There were two national companies, two true national companies. Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Entertainment. Well, at the time, World Wrestling Federation then became World Wrestling Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And Ted Turner's owned Atlanta-based World Championship Wrestling, which was what he when he bought the regional territory by Jim Crockett that was the Carolinas of Virginia in 1988. He morphed it and grew it into this. And they literally were going head to head, literally head to head every night on Monday night with their live broadcasts of their of their wrestling programs. Same time slot, yes. Same time slot, literally head to head. 
Um, eventually, at the beginning, WCW was was winning. Then slowly, Vince McMahon rallied the troops and started overtake him. And there was a period there where it was literally back and forth. You didn't know who was going to win week to week. Mm-hmm. And then WWE started to pull ahead. And about the time they pulled ahead, Turner was bought by AOL Time Warner. And it became very obvious very soon, if you followed the inside of the wrestling business, that the people, the big wigs at AOL didn't want to have a wrestling company as one of their divisions. They were going to get rid of it at all costs. And it was about, what, a year or two after that that WCW went under and Vince bought it? Correct. Yeah. Now, it, of course, didn't help WCW's cause that they were losing money hand over fist because right. of bad directions. And, 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 right. But the thing you have to understand is Ted Turner was a fan of pro wrestling. And I don't mean that as he went to the matches and enjoyed the storylines. He was a fan of the fact that when he built his empire, it was built out of one UHF station in Atlanta that grew to become the, you know, the Turner networks that we have now, TNT, TBS, all that stuff. And his original programming was essentially three things. Andy Griffith reruns, Atlanta Braves baseball, because he owned the Braves, and Georgia Championship Wrestling. That's what built his his empire, those three entities. And when, when AOL bought it out, now Ted does not have as much pull at the executive level. I think the same thing's going on with DC. Warner Brothers owned DC for a long time with AT&T buying them. You've now got people at the high levels at AT&T who don't want a comic book company, especially one that its sales are flagging on the publication side. And we talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. Isn't everybody's because of the digital age? I haven't, I, I'm not looking at the hard numbers, so I can't say, right? But I right. do know that DC's numbers are down. And there's been, there's been rumors for several years that, that both Marvel and DC were going to go pure digital sometime in the future and just qu- quit producing you know paper hard copies at some point. Right. If that's the case, and these rumors are to be believed, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman are too profitable a, a, a property just based on movies, video games, and merchandising alone for Warner Brothers to want to, or AT&T to want to get rid of them. So what's going to happen? What do you think? I think there is a definite possibility using the Sony example of Spider-Man where Disney could come knocking at AT&T's door and say, hey, we know this medium that you're having trouble with. Uh, Hey, Warner Brothers, no disrespect, but we're making more money than you. How about we guide the way for your movies? And in the comic book world, since nobody cares about these funny books, as you know, their their grandfathers used to call them. You know, right? Maybe we can make an agreement and do an ongoing world in the comics, and then maybe even have an on screen meeting. That's my ideal scenario. That's in my personal, as the geeks would say, head canon. But mm-hmm. I mean, we are talking Disney here, and quite frankly, two or three years ago, the thought of 20th Century Fox being bought out was ridiculous because the amount of money it would cost. But yet, who bought 20th Century Fox and thus solidified all these Marvel properties and Star Wars properties for their own streaming service? Disney. Uh-huh. See, that's that's kind of where I'm at in my head is like that. I would think just business speaking, let's remove everything but just merchandising. Can you even begin to realize the dollar value of the Bat Signal and the the Superman S and just pop culture merchandising? It's one of those things where 
even people who have never read a comic book in their life still recognize that Superman sig- signal. Maybe it was from the Christopher Reeve movies, but they still recognize it. Exactly. They know that's Superman. They know the bat signal symbols, the bat Batman. So those alone would make me think that, that Warner Brothers, AT&T would not want to part with monies. So they would be more apt to, like you said, maybe license out. OK, co- close down your publication side and license out for other other media for, media formats. But then you bring up the interesting idea of Disney seems to be on this buying spree. And a lot of it's happened since Bob Iger took over. Let's be honest. Right. Which he stepped down as of the day of this recording, by the way. Oh, did he? I knew he was getting close to retirement. And I often wondered if Disney proffered, would this be his final, final, you know, plume to put over his, 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 his legacy? Because he's the one that proffered the deal with the by Fox. He's the one that bought Marvel. He's the one that bought Lucasfilms. Exactly. Yeah. And that would be like the ultimate feather in his cap. Oh, and I bought the competition too, you know? Mm-hmm. My thought, though, goes to yours. Whether Bob Iger's in charge of Disney or not, it seems to me that Disney, with what they've been doing the past few years, they don't get, get along and play well with others. They want total control. So which lends me to believe if Warner Brothers AT&T goes to them with a deal, I get this feeling their counter will be, how about we just take the whole thing off your hands? And then you get this interesting question of, how much is Disney willing to pony up for DC properties to do whatever they want with them? That includes publication, movies, video games, merchandising. And how much is Warner Brothers AT&T willing, willing to let it go for? Because like we just said, the merchandise alone is worth a lot of money. It's going to have to be a lot. Well, we know that, that you know, because it's this public record now, they bought Fox for $70 billion. With a B. Right. I do not think that they would offer that much for DC, and quite frankly, I don't think DC is as as profitable as I don't think it's worth that much. Right. But my gut feeling is an initial offer would probably be somewhere between the twenty to thirty billion dollar range. You know, so let's say twenty five billion just to just to split the difference. Is that enough for AT and T to go? Okay, we'll take the twenty five billion now and not worry about all the money we might make in the long term off of the the Batman and Superman merchandising. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any numbers that would come up in your head, or do my numbers sound about right to you? I guess it would depend on whether Warner Brothers movies were part of the package, because if they're just looking for... I think I'm just saying just DC Entertainment. That's all they want to buy is just that that division, DC Entertainment. Yeah, and, and the ability to make uh, just Comics, uh, their own Justice movies. League movie. Yeah. 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 So that would that would include the whole smash for DC. That would, like I said, would include yeah. merchandising, video, video games, movies, and and publishing. I think that would be more akin to the Lucasfilm type buyout, where I think that was what four or something like that. Yeah, four billion, I want to say. But I think they would have to offer more because that was what ten years ago, right? And that was just Star Wars. That was the big thing they got out of that was Star Wars and Indiana Jones. So yeah, maybe we're fanboying here, but I think at the least, based on what we talked about earlier, we're going to get a crossover. It almost seems at this point, if they didn't get the okay from the editors, these guys that are writing Thor and Doomsday Clock said, we're going to force their hands. Right. I don't want to say the writers and artists are going on strike, but I think you get my point, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's maybe almost almost a form of collective bargaining, if you want to call it that, you know, for those that know the, the sports, pro sports terms. Um, but I think at the least we're going to get a crossover. But what the future holds, based on what's going on, could be very interesting. And I think a crossover – if it happens in the comics, could be the foundation to which something much bigger could happen. 
Right. So let, let, let's speculate. What are your thoughts on Marvel buying DC outright and Marvel actually now producing? We know what Vince McMahon did when he finally got WCW. He did that killed awful it. invasion. They <laughs> killed it. It is awful invasion story. And it happened before. It happened in the 80s when Crockett, before the, Turner bought them, they bought out Bill Watts UWF, which was the third national promotion at the time, and buried them. I mean, let's face it. He killed it, burned the corpse, and then put out the fire by peeing on it. You know, that's, exactly. that's basically what happened. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say take a big st- steaming dump on it, but that's peeing on it just as good. But, mm-hmm. but, but do you think Marvel does that? Or do you do they merge the two? Do they keep them separate entities with occasional crossovers? What do you think they would do? I think the most money would be made by keeping them separate and then doing the occasional crossover. Because that would be asking a lot of the comic fans and, quite frankly, the mainstream fans. Hey, wait a minute. Superman's meeting Thor? Why didn't we see this in the MCU 10 years ago? Why was it Superman in Avengers Age of Ultron? Yeah, exact right. kind of thing. Right. It's the same reason why when Marvel and DC would do their crossovers back in the day, in the, in the mid-90s, when they did the all-access stuff and, and all that, they yeah. made them separate universes by design because they figured the readers would just say, okay, well, why didn't, you know, the the X-Men and the Avengers join forces with the Justice League during uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths or something? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Where was, you know, I don't know, pick any team up from, from the DC universe. Where were they when, when the scrolls came to light during Secret Wars? That mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I think you're right. I think from a from a logical standpoint, that is the, probably the best way to go. But, it, I mean, the other question I have, too, is because I was a wrestler, I know what the contracts were for, for talent for WCW versus WWE in that time period we're talking about of the 90s, right? And they were very different. For those that don't know, they were very different. One was a downside guarantee. One was guaranteed money, less dates. Mm-hmm. They were, they're, they're very different. That's honestly, I don't want to get too much into business talk, okay? But I don't know how different the contracts are right now for talent for Marvel and talent for DC. I'm talking the writers, the pencilers, the inkers, that kind of stuff, right? So that has to be considered too. If you're going to merge them, do the contract, I mean, yes, the DC contracts would probably roll over because when you buy a company like that, the existing contracts you have with personnel rolls over with it. That's part of the purchase. But they're eventually going to run out and you would think Marvel would want to restructure them to the way they do them, or Disney would, I should say, wouldn't you? Yeah, it makes sense. So that becomes interesting, too, because me and Seth are both old enough to remember what we referenced earlier when a lot of talent and the hot young talent at the time in the comics world on both DC and Marvel said, to heck with these two behemoths. We're going to do it our own way. Could we be looking at something like that being the fallout from something like this? It's difficult to say. I mean, I know it sounds like a cop out answer to say that, but it's just like, what? So we're going to have a third universe? You know, uh, well, I mean, yeah, and we we had more than that in the '90s because you had, you know, the Spawn universe that Tom McFarlane created and the Wildstorm stuff, and you know, eventually DC bought all that, well, most of that, and the Dakota verse got, you know, uh, absorbed into the DC universe proper. So, yeah, there's always an out, but it could make for some interesting times as a comic book reader here. I think if it happens in the next few years, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think. At the very least, the year of our Lord 2020 is going to be 
a very interesting time to be a comic and superhero fan. I think you can uh, attest to that, right? Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Between what we're talking about in the comics, where the MCU's headed, you know, we don't know where they're going because this major story that we've been on board for for 10 years that we'll talk about in the next segment, <laughs> it's it's done, and they're starting their next leg. Uh, we talked last time about, you know, the up and downs of the DC cinematic universe with the underperforming of Birds of Prey, but Joker being a big hit right before it. So it's a very interesting time to be a comic book fan right now. It really is. Right. Absolutely. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk the MCU talk that we teased uh, just before this. And we're going to correct ourselves because we like to say that we have a great batting average, but hey, if we swing and miss, we're going to fess up to it, and that's what the next segment's about. This has been Geekville Radio, and we will be right back. Are you looking for a gaming-themed podcast? Then check out You Just Got Fragged. Join host Jared Aubrey and his panel of gaming enthusiasts as they discuss news and accomplishments in the gaming world, and of course, the gripe of the week. That's all at YouJustGotFragged.com part of the Wrestling Brethren Podcast Family. Attention all Time Lords and Ladies. Geekville Radio presents Examining the Doctor, a weekly look at everybody's favorite Time Lord, the Doctor. Join Mark and Seth as they bring their signature blend of knowledge and humor to favorite and not-so-favorite episodes of Doctor Who. From Hartnell to Capaldi, Examining the Doctor provides episode commentaries for classic and current Doctor Who fans alike. Examining the Doctor, available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at GeekVilleRadio.com. All right, we are back talking Marvel MCU and some of the mistakes we made, so let's dive right into it. This goes back to when we talked the Captain Marvel movie, which I guess would be a little under a year ago, and we had pointed out that we think they they meaning marvel wrote themselves into a corner or maybe had kind of flubbed their own continuity about the tesseract because of how a goose hawks it up in the what was it the post credit scene of captain marvel or one of them yeah the, the last one the, the 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 true post credit scene not the mid credit scene right so we were trying to think of okay well if this is the 90s then where did the tesseract get to in there but you actually rewatched captain marvel and you got it all figured out right yeah i think i do uh, this had always been something that stuck in my craw full transparency Mar- captain marvel when we did that brought when we did that episode was the only mcu movie i'd only seen once and i saw it in the theater at that point one of the beauties of having disney plus now as we've talked about that that streaming service before is now I got access to everything except for the few that are on Netflix, and I and I have them. Though I cannot find anywhere streaming the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk. I haven't uh, either. Yeah. So that's the only one, and that kind of put that kind of threw a monkey wrench into my plans of watching all the the MCU movies in chronological order, not release order, uh, over the Christmas holidays. But um, I, it is what it is. Uh, but I recently. Uh, when I thought about this, I rewatched Captain Marvel for the first time. And, you know, I'm at home. I could pause it when I went to the bathroom <laughs> or got up to get a drink. And, and, and can just I can go back and rewind stuff, freeze frame. I don't think a lot of our younger listeners appreciate things like Netflix and Disney Plus and Hulu 
that, you know, we didn't have uh, the analogy I think I made to you when we were talking about this was think back to when we were kids and Star Wars stuff came out. You had to wait years before Star Wars even came out on videotape. Right. So, you know, if you were a diehard fan, you saw it two or three times in the theater. That's all you got. That's why we were so hungry for the comic books and the the novelizations and the other novels, which is now, you know, considered the legacy, you know, the expanded universe, the stuff that isn't canon anymore. You know, quick uh, news blitz about that is they've announced the High Republic era, which is apparently going to be the new kind of EU thing, you know, for the, uh, the hundreds of years before. But that's for another episode. That's for another episode. This is a comic books only. But that was my comparison is that, you know, we we don't have that now. We have the luxury of going back and watching all these movies as many times as we care to binge them. And it was able to get the timeline. So I'm going to try to explain it here. And if there's you have any questions, stop me. But I'm I'm going to I'm going to throw in different examples from different properties within the MC, the expanded MCU. This is going to include television and movies. And I think I think once I'm done, you'll see there is no gap like we thought there was. Mm-hmm. So the first time we see the Tesseract, chronologically speaking, would be at the beginning of Captain America First Adventure when Red Skull shows up at that, you know, the Norse temple there in Scandinavia and basically steals it from the monk or whatever right that's the first time we've seen it right so let's put a date on that uh we're guessing this is we know that captain america and the cap the super soldier serum project ends toward towards the end of the war so we got to figure somewhere between what 43 and 45 somewhere in there yeah yeah right so we'll say we'll say 44 to make it easy ladies and gentlemen then we go the whole movie with it being in the possession of red skull and the hydra until he tries to grab it and it eats its way through the ship and Cap puts the ship in, in, in the ocean. So we're going to say 1945, okay? So now the Tesseract is sitting on the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, 1945. The next time chronologically we see the Tesseract is the Howard Stark, the, the, the Dominic Purcell version of Howard Stark, pull it off the bottom of the ocean, and they don't find Cap, and he says, keep looking. And that was at the beginning of, I want to say... What was at the beginning of uh, Winter Soldier? Is that correct? Oh, or it might have been the very end of the original Cap. I I, I think that might have been, but but okay. but still, we're talking okay. after World War II. This is sometime after right. the war. And then here's the, here's the important thing to remember. The reason I brought up the Dominic Purcell version is once again I'm, I'm tying in TV and movies here. Dominic Purcell also played Howard Stark in the in the in the Agent Carter television series, which is canon and part of the MCU. Mm-hmm. This era in Peggy's life is before Cap decides to show back up, you know, from the events of the very end of Endgame because she's living in a woman's hotel. She's single still. So we know this is probably late 40s. This is post-World War II because the first time we see John Slattery's version of Howard Stark would be from Iron Man 2 when it's on that home video that Tony watches to figure out how to make this new element to fix his arc reactor in his chest. And that whole movie was made for, I think that was the 60 expo was the, was the expo that he made that for. So if we're following things here, and I know this is kind of convoluted, but sometime between 1950 and 1960, we were to believe that Dominic Purcell aged into John Slattery. Do you follow my logic there? Uh well well first off you got your Dominic's mixed up Dominic Purcell is Heatwave no, 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 in... no, no, yeah, no, heat sorry boy that's a nice visual there <laughs> yeah sorry not Dominic Purcell Dominic uh, um oh what is preacher 
What's his mm-hmm. last name? Uh, Monahan, I believe, right? No, no, no. Uh, no oh, wait, no. that's that's uh, Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry. Right, right. Uh, um, Cooper. Yeah, yeah Dominic, Dominic Cooper. Dom- it is. Okay. Sorry, ladies. I meant Dominic Cooper. I got a little bit of DC on my mind. <laughs> so we're supposed to believe somewhere between 1950 and 1960, Dominic Cooper ages into John Slattery. I think you understand what I'm saying when I say that, right? Right, right. And you can see how I drew that. I drew that based on things we've seen in the MCU. So once again, it is now in the possession of Howard Stark, which means it's in possession of Shield because we know Howard helped start Shield. The next time we see the Tesseract, as far as chronologically, would be 1970. That would be from Endgame when Cap and and Tony go back after screwing up in 2012. They need to go back to 1970 to get more pin particles and to get the cube. And that is, of course, where we have the scene where Tony, as an adult, meets his father before he's even been born. His his mother's pregnant at the time. And we get to see that wonderful cameo by James Darcy as Jarvis, mm-hmm. you know, that was done by the Russo brothers because they were a fan of the Agent Carter television series and realized that there had never been any television crossover, you know, except for the the, the helicarrier thing at the end of age of Ultron. And so that was why they did that, you know, and as both of us were fans of agent Carter, I think we both said we liked seeing that brief cameo by Darcy as Jarvis, you know, it was mm-hmm. kind of cool. Right. So that's the next, but that's the next time we see the Tesseract. It's still in the possession of shield. Uh, we know that cap goes back in time at the end of Endgame and puts back all the infinity stones that would include the Tesseract right at the same time he got them. So it's, it's, it's like it never left essentially is what I'm saying. It's right. still in possession of S.H.I.E.L.D. The next time we see the Tesseract, chronologically speaking, would be from Captain Marvel. And that's where the confusion came, because that takes place at 95, I believe. And I was always fear. how did Marvell, a.k.a. Dr. Lawson, you know, how did she get a hold of the Tesseract to do these experiments to try to create this light speed engine? That's the, essentially the, the major storyline of Captain Marvel. Uh, you know, that's the big reveal that Annette Benning's Lawson is not really a human scientist named Lawson. It's Marvell from Cree, who is going against the Cree and creating this engine in a hope of finding a planet way off from the Cree Empire to take the scrolls so they can live in peace. And I always wondered, well, if she's had the Tesseract all along or, or, or she has the Tesseract, how in the heck did she get it? Because the last time we saw it, S.H.I.E.L.D. had it, you know? Mm-hmm. Did S.H.I.E.L.D. have a fake? And then I realized as I watched Captain Marvel, wait a second, they didn't know she was a Cree. They didn't know she was Marvell. They thought she was Dr. Lawson. She was this high-ranking scientist working with S.H.I.E.L.D. to develop this technology. If she didn't have access to the Tesseract, she definitely knew where it was stored, and with Cree technology could have easily swiped it, you know? Or possibly just used her ranking as to say, hey, uh, can we get use of this for a while, you know? Exactly. What I essentially came to realize by watching it is her having it meant S.H.I.E.L.D. had it, essentially, because she was, for all intents and purposes, working for S.H.I.E.L.D. And then, of course, for a very brief moment, Zonron and and the, the Kree have it, but then Goose the Flurkin swallows it. And then we see, like you said, in the post credit scene of Captain Marvel, Goose, you know, pukes it back up onto Nick Fury's desk. So... It's right back in Shield's hands. Right. I I just wish they could have had another thing there that was Shuri walking back in and just because you know they they could cut it you know to keep it PG thirteen. Just Fury looks down, sees the Tesseract with whatever cat gook is on it, and mm-hmm. just sees it and just goes mother. 
and then it just like, you know, kind of like they did at the end at the end of Infinity War when he <laughs> right. used the pager. Right. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. He got close a couple of times to, to dropping mm. the F bomb, but they never <laughs> yeah. would let him because they were going for that PG thirteen, which I don't understand. I know they're going for the family thing, but my understanding is you can use one non sexual F bomb, just one and non sexual, and still maintain a PG thirteen rating. That's my understanding. Yeah, yeah, that's true because it's in um, uh, Walk the Line, the Johnny Cash movie, and right. allegedly there were many takes in Endgame of where Tony did the snap to dispose of, of Thanos, and mm-hmm. they, they decided to do it. I am Iron Man to kind of make it poetic with the first one, but that was one of the takes is uh, Robert Downey Jr. saying Not, I'm I am Iron Man, Man. Or, or or just just f you or something of that effect. And right. I mean, I know it would have kind of been out completely out of left field for a Disney movie, so I understand why they didn't do it. But boy, that that would have definitely got some uh, <laughs>, laughs out of the crowd. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I don't know if that was a moment that was meant to be funny. That was mm-hmm. meant to be a very serious moment. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I think what they went with, with it being a call back to and my understanding, that wasn't the original scripted line. It was that was RDJ's kind of improvisation. Yeah, something like that, because that, that, I'd heard that they did many takes of that. So right. I don't know if that's true, if that's hearsay, because the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, I want to see all these takes, complete with all the effects in the background, which will get very expensive. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But regardless, you know, and, and going back and watching the scene where Goose yaks up the, 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 the Tesseract, you can tell that it's, I don't know if it's the same day as, Fury typing in the Avengers prod, you know, initiative that we see at the end of Captain Marvel, but it's in the same time frame because if you look, if you go back and watch that post credit scene, it's obvious that's an old school monitor on his desk, and right. and his and his nameplate just says in Fury. It doesn't say director or anything. Right. So this right. is not sometime in the future. You know, this is still in the nineties. I'm guessing anywhere from that day to maybe six months later. You know, yeah, because those flat screen monitors didn't become commonplace until well after 2000. Right, right. So this is obviously, I mean, he's still just a regular old, probably level four or five shield agent at that point. You know, mm-hmm. he's not he's not the director yet. So it, it's then the next time we see the Tesseract after that would be chronologically speaking, all the events talk, we've talked about earlier with it showing up at the end of Thor and, and Loki kind of messing with Selvig's mind. And then it becoming, you know, a major plot point in the first Avengers movie. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have said if we are demonstrably wrong, call us on it. We were wrong here. Me more so than Seth. Uh, we don't bat a thousand, but we're pretty close. This is one where we screwed the pooge. And after further viewing and watching, I figured it out. And I, I hope everybody understands that, understands why I was giving the explanations I was giving. But you kind of have to to piece those things together. Cause I think that's part of the success of the MCU is this isn't just one movie. This is 22, 23 movies over a 10 year span that are chronologically out of order. So sometimes it can be difficult to link things together. You know, I mean, really the biggest discrepancy, or at least one of them in the entire MCU is somehow roadie changes from Terrence Howard to Don Cheadle. Goes from a six foot four light skinned black man to a five foot ten dark skinned black man. Yeah, that right. that right. <laughs> and, and to me that's kinda right up there where if you watch the Stargate movie and then watch the Stargate series like I did, the biggest thing you have to adjust is Kurt Russell changes into 
Richard Dean Anderson. It's like, oh, wow, big stretch there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> St. Pliskin became MacGyver when I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that was just one thing in the MCU that I noticed, and, and it makes sense now. The Tesseract was never missing. It was always from the moment Howard got it off the off the floor of the ocean until Thanos gets it and puts it in the Infinity Gauntlet. It's in the possession of Shield the whole time, or Hydra if you want to be technical, right? But <laughs> right, or you know, just it, it was in the possession of people either not Shield themselves, somebody Shield was watching over. I guess is probably exactly. the best way to put it. Yeah. Exactly, or, or working with or for Shield. You know, and looking back now, uh, that that that's just one example of something that I've been able to straighten out. Have there been anything else now that you've had Disney plus for a while that you've been able to get your mind around that maybe was confusing about the MCU before? I mean, kind of reassessing it. We've done reviews of almost all the movies going back to heck, probably age of Ultron was probably the first one. I think we, you and I did together, you know, sounds probably right. Yeah. So that's, that's at least what, 10, 15 movies we reviewed. <laughs> so we, we reviewed the, at least the second half of the first three phases. What do you what do you think? Is there anything now that, that that's holes that have been filled or things that made more sense to you now that you've had a chance to, like I said, watch them again, slow, you know, pause them when you wanted to? Well, I I haven't really been watching them too much with a uh, how critical would you eye? say critical eye? But that's the exact frame, <laughs> the exact term I was looking for. Thank you. Uh, yeah, critical eye. Just because if I'm enjoying something, I really don't get that critical about it. They're not to say that because I'm not enjoying something, I'm going to be more critical of it. It's just, if it's entertaining to me, I, I like it, you know, and that's, that's whether it's movies, TVs, comics, wrestling, you know, the whole bit. If it's entertaining enough, I'm able to forgive. Right. Unless it's something really big and winds up insulting intelligence, but right, I guess right. really, the, you know, like, like I said, the, 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 the changing with Rhodey, there's other things like me personally, I think giving Carol, the call sign of Avenger was a, a, a little cheesy. I, me personally, I would have had it be like Warbird or something like that. You know, mm -hmm. a character she actually took on. Yeah, because Rambo's call sign was Photon, which she was Photon for a while. In the exactly. Comic, so I'm fine. Right. Right. But in, in, in the end, it's not a big deal. Well, one that you and I have discussed, and I've always been the one that's proffered this, and you and you've always said, "Yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from." Now, after repeated viewings of Endgame, I am certain it happened. I believe that Steve Rogers, Captain America, told Bucky Barnes before he went back to put the stones what he was going to do. Mm -hmm. I think he did. And having repeated watching now, I'm, I'm, I'm certain of it. The things that Bucky says to Cap right before Bruce sends him off into time, like, I'm going to miss you. Why would, he, why would he miss him? He's gonna, supposed to be back in five, ten seconds, you know? Why would he say that? The fact that he doesn't go over to Cap, he sends Sam over. He says, go ahead, Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Bucky actually went to Sam and say, hey, yeah, like like you said, it was like it was like Bucky knew. Yeah. Bucky knew. And and let's be honest, one of Cap's strengths is his ability to adapt to any environment, to think quick on the fly. Especially where fighting and war and tactics come into play. Heck, we see that at the end of, of Endgame. He's only seen Thor use Mjolnir, and he uses it like he's been using it. I mean, calling down thunder. He, I mean, that's how adaptable he is to those kind of things. But even with that being said, I think because he's a military man, Cap wants to go in with a strategy and a plan. Are we agreed on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, granted, he probably 
took several, I don't know, I mean, at least hours, maybe days or weeks to get all the stones back in, you know, right where when they took them. Because he's having to go to several different places all over the galaxy at several different times. I actually think if you were going to do one more Captain America movie or maybe a, a Disney Plus series with with Chris Evans, that would be a pretty fun series of each episode is him putting one of the stones back. That would be something if Chris Evans is willing to do it. And he seems to be very interested in this this political podcast and, you know, more power to him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they wanted to, that would that would make for a fun uh, Disney Plus series. Do you've got you could get six seasons out of it. You do an eight or ten episode arc of of each stone being put back. Mm -hmm. And that's six seasons right there. But, you know, I digress. I digress. Even if you do one episode. And here's the thing. Even if you did do several seasons, it doesn't matter how much older Chris Evans gets. No, it doesn't. (laughs) Because he's going to be he's supposed to be aging anyways. So I don't think he decided by the seat of his pants once he'd put the final stone back. You know what? I got all the time in the world because I got this little gadget here. I'll go back to 1940, whatever it is. We're not quite sure because the last we see of Cap is it's obviously in the past, you know, the very, very end of Endgame because of the vehicles and, and, you know, the home that they're in and the age of Peggy Carter when they're dancing and it fades out into the to the credits. It's obviously once again, going back to what we know from the MCU, it's got to be post Agent Carter. Right. Because she's still single in Agent Carter. But it can't be too far into the future because it doesn't seem like she's the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. yet. And we know she becomes that event. We know definitely by 1970 she's the director because we see it on her door when Cap's back in 1970 and trying to evade those MPs looking for him, you know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So I think, you know, I, I'm guessing based on that one little scene, what, 48, 49, 50, somewhere in there, that sound about right to you? Yeah, yeah, it would seem about right, and it seems like the entire story was supposed to loop back around and have Steve wind up with Peggy in the end. And because we've talked about it before in, in the comics, that kind of doesn't really happen because you have to write off Captain America. But uh, unfortunately, in the real world, actors age, and you have mm-hmm. to put uh, an end to stories. So it actually made sense from a storytelling standpoint to have. Mm-hmm. Steve just go back and wind up with Peggy in the end because even when she passes, I think it was in the beginning of Civil War when Cap goes to see her and Peggy is talking to him like Steve never left. That's Winter Soldier because she dies and her funerals in Civil War. Okay, okay, that's Winter yeah. Soldier. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. A wise man and respects being corrected. Not that I'm saying I'm wise, but anyway, uh, but the the point still stands is. Uh, you know, she's talking to Steve like he never left, and it's played off like it's the dementia, which mm-hmm. that probably has something to do with it. But it all adds up. If she spent her entire life with Steve, well, mm-hmm. then it makes sense that she's still going to look at young Steve the same way she would look at old Steve. Right. And if you remember in that scene you're referring to, Steve even asked her, did you ever get married? And she says, yeah. And he asked her, who? He says, to a friend. Mm-hmm. I think you and me have talked off, Mike, uh, uh, after Endgame came out that Steve told Peggy everything when he just whatever that 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 era we're talking 48 to 50 somewhere in there he walks back into her life you have to remember she has been mourning his loss since 45 when he put it when he put the plane into the north atlantic and she thought he was gone so you know he shows back up she's obviously in shock uh, but as you pointed out from the agent carter series 
by that point, she's already dealt with dark matter, mm-hmm. you know? So the idea of things fantastical to her are starting to become more commonplace, you know? And, uh, she'd also, I mean, she had already kind of, because she didn't know everything Cap knew, but from the events of first Avenger, we are still dealing with red skull using the Tesseract to develop these highly advanced weaponry, you know? So the idea of, Oh, by the way, I'm Steve, but I'm Steve from the future. Let me explain. Right. You know, and then he has to go with the, they, they, I didn't die. I was just, I was a capsicle and they dug me out of the ocean. They thawed me out and I have been living, even though, I was born in 19 whatever and I I'm I'm you know chronologically I'm 80 something 90 something years old as far as metabolism wise I'm on, I'm the still the same Steve that left you 3 years 4 years ago and and then explains everything explains the avengers explains the infinity stones explains the snap explains everything right and and you know what I'm not going back to 2000 whatever it was 2024 I think cuz it is the 5 year jump after the snap you know mm mm-hmm. mhm I'm not going to go back. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to be with you, Peggy. I'm finally going to get that dance. Right. And I think that's, that's what we see. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't even be surprised if the dance that we see at the end of Endgame is after a long conversation over a pot of coffee where he explains everything to her. And right. that's, that's why there's this look of relief on both of them's faces. It's like, wow, you know? And, and, and I do think one of the strong points to the end game movie and how it ended was i think the ending we got for cap thor and iron man when you look back at the other movies once again these things you can do when you're able to go back and watch them multiple times it's what we wanted no we didn't want tony to die but we wanted tony to finally show he would as cap says in the first avengers you would he would lay down on that that wire make the sacrifice play yeah right and he does it at the end of all the Avengers movies. He does it with the with the bomb at the first Avengers. He does it with his plan and going into the core of Sokovia and Age of Ultron, and then does the ultimate sacrifice with the snap at Endgame. And then Cap, if you tell me you didn't want Cap to go back and get some of that life Tony told him to get, as he says, you know, and be with Peggy and make that dance, you're crazy. Everybody wanted that. And Thor... The development of Thor from Thor to Dark World to Ragnarok, he says it himself when he tells Valkyrie, you're the new king of Asgard. I'm tired of being who I'm supposed to be, and it's time I start being who I am. And if you followed Thor in the comics, that's kind of how Thor has been. I mean, the, the old cliche of, of, you know, heavy is the head that bears the crown, that has never been more true than any other monarch that I can think of fictional or real than Thor Odinson in the comics. Do you agree with that? It's hard to argue. So, I mean... I think what you saw with those, because those are the three big characters, that was perfect. And it also goes to that argument that we're talking about in, in the first Avengers, where Cap tells Tony, you know, you're not going to be the one that makes a sacrifice play. And Tony says to Cap, everything special about you came out of a bottle. And of course, what happens right. in Endgame? He's worthy to pick up the hammer. It's all poetic. Yeah, it's very. A thing I caught rewatching the Avengers recently along those lines was Tony making a, a snide comment to Bruce. It's hard for me to believe that's the guy my dad raved about. Couldn't shut up about. And and then he makes that flippant line just a few minutes later in the movie about, like you said, everything good out of you came out of a bottle. What he never understood and that his father saw and that more importantly, Dr. Erskine saw was what Kate made what made Steve Rogers Captain America wasn't the super soldier serum. It was what was in his heart. 
Yeah, it was, it was when uh, Tommy Lee Jones threw that grenade down, and the first thing Steve did was hop on it to save everybody else. That is what makes Steve Rogers Captain America. Exactly. Not the Super Soldier Serum. And it took all the events of the MCU for Tony to finally realize that. Right. When you reassess the MCU, as I have in the past few weeks, it's even more impressive than it, than you originally think. We, we all understood that visually and the casting and all that and the budget was, was, uh, we already were blown away by that. But the storytelling and the intricacy of the storytelling is even more impressive when you go back on multiple viewings. I'm probably not uh, speaking out of turn here when I, when I say Iron Man 2, Thor the Dark World, and Avengers Age of Ultron are universally considered the three weakest movies in the MCU, correct? Probably, yeah. Looking back now across all of them, you don't realize how important those three movies are until you see Endgame. Yes. And watch it on multiple viewings. Uh, Age of Ultron heavily develops the bond that Wanda and Clint have. How important does that become at the end of Endgame? Absolutely. You know, it makes I mean, uh, Natasha's sacrifice all the more, right. you know, and because Clint was able to have the life that Natasha never could. I mean, I suppose she could get married, but she would never be able to birth children. That's integral to right. her character, you know? Sure. That's the whole reason she's reluctant to have, start a relationship with Bruce. Mm-hmm. She tells him that in Age of Ultron. Once again, we don't understand that, you know, and, 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 and the Hulk talking about how he tried to bring her back when he did the initial snap that brought everybody back. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, I miss her. And Cap says, I miss her, too. That that payoff doesn't happen without the development of their relationship in Age of Ultron, does it? No. Right. The whole scene where Rocket and Thor go back to Asgard in 2013 to get the ether. None of that makes sense without without Dark World. None of it. And I'm not talking about, OK, yeah, we get it from a logical standpoint. That's where they went because it was going to be the easiest time to get it. The stone. But the, the whole where where Thor has that that heart to heart with Rene Russo at Queen Frigga, his mother, that doesn't have the same gravitas that in, in Endgame if we don't have the events of Dark World to compare yeah. it to. Yeah. And that is some of the best acting. Uh, I don't think I'm overstating it. That's some of the best acting in the entire MCU there. I mean, that is a Chris man, Hemsworth's character. Oh, yeah. How, how many of us would give our eight teeth to go back? And you know, see mom one more time, you know. Right, I would just like just like Tony got go back and see Howard, you know, mm-hmm. and his escapades. You don't fully understand the relationship of Rhodey and Tony, and you don't fully understand the Black Widow character and the relationship that with Nick Fury to Tony and all that without Iron Man too, you know. And so I know people say, well, they're not that good, and. Believe me, I understand it. Those three movies are weaker than some of the other. They're not Black Panther. They're not Winter Soldier. We can agree. Those are the, some of the stronger movies. You know, they're not in-game, right? I'm, I understand all that. Not every chapter in a book is a blow-away chapter. But when you get to the end of that novel, that chapter that wasn't a blow-away probably is important to the overall story. And that's what I'm saying about the – with multiple viewings, you begin to see that. And, you know – as much as I've praised the MCU, I'm even more impressed now that I've had a chance to watch several of these movies multiple times and understand the callbacks and the interweaving of the storytelling. And the fact that you can make extremely entertaining popcorn movies that can be standalones, that people can watch and, and be entertained out of their minds and feel like they're money. Or if you have people like me who really want to delve into the intricacy and go at that level, that when you have both working at the same time, that's beyond impressive to me. 
you know? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Kevin Feige, John Favreau, and James Gunn, and Stan Lee, and and all the creative people that behind this, you know, you know, uh, the, 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 we can't forget Joss Whedon was involved in this for a while, you know, the Russo brothers, all the people that have been involved behind the scenes, they're the ones that made that happen, you know, the directors, the casting directors, the the producers, they're the ones that made this interweaving, and and it's it's kind of funny because you don't normally see that kind of cooperation or collaboration with so many different creative minds in Hollywood, but they made it work over a 10-year span, over 22, 23 movies. Amazing. Of course, we all want to see that with DC. We all want to see that with Star Wars and all these other shared universes, but if this is the only one we get, it might be the only one we get, you know? Right. My take out of this is if you if there's a, if there's a, a Marvel MCU movie, ladies and gentlemen, that you thought less of, and you've only seen it once or twice, and it's been a while since you've seen it, and you do have Disney+, Plus. go back and rewatch it. You might notice some stuff you didn't see before, right? Right. And my suggestion would be watch Endgame either right before it or right after it, okay? And then go back and watch it. You know, like, like Dark World's a great example. Dark World's probably considered the, the weakest of all of them, you know? Go back and watch Dark World. Then go back and watch Endgame after it. And you'll be like, wow, Dark World was a lot more better and more important than I thought. So, like I said at the top of the show, this was kind of going to be that 64-page annual or something like that. It's got all the the bigs and littles in it. And this has been Geekville Radio. We are at geekvilleradio.com. You can find all of the ways to subscribe at the website, geekvilleradio.com. Or you can go to the social media. Facebook is Geekville Radio. Twitter is Geekville Radio, and through the podcatcher of your choice, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, just search for Geekville. You'll find all the other shows in the Geekville Radio family, including Examining the Doctor, including Lesser Known Geek Hall of Fame, and all the other shows we do. Now, Train, if people want to get a hold of you and uh, talk to you about the MCU or DC or anything else, where can they find you? I'm always available on Twitter at CrazyTrain underscore JB. All right, this has been episode 255 of Geekville Radio, and we will talk to you folks again soon as we've teased before about the Star Wars High Republic stuff. We'll be back for episode 256 to talk about that. Geekville Radio is not sponsored or endorsed by any product or company unless specifically stated. The views expressed by the host and or guests are purely their own and do not represent the views of GeekvilleRadio.com, A1-Wrestling.com, or any affiliates. Some media used on Geekville Radio is the respective copyright of its publishers, all rights reserved. So, Train, I do have to confess, uh, I haven't seen much of the MCU on Disney Plus because I've been busy catching up on Clone Wars. But that's a podcast for another day. (laughs) Yes, it is.